Things will be a little bit different this morning. Normally we have the typical uh, way we do things. We go through slowly and pick apart verse by verse. Uh, We have a very short text this morning, and I'm going to have to give you some background. Is my mic on? Can you guys hear me? No? You can. You can hear me, but I don't know if my mic's on. Let me check. It's on here, so... It's on, my battery pack is on. We have a new, it was very quiet in the lobby, so it just probably wasn't up. We're in John chapter 12, verses 9 through 11. And the title of the message, You Can't Handle the Truth. In case you wonder where that comes from, I'll show you. You need to turn that up, please. That's from a movie called A Few Good Men. I am not a fan of either Tom Cruise or Jack Nicholson. I do like Kevin Bacon, who is blurry in the background. I like him, but anyway, uh, <clears throat> thought I would show you where I got the title, You Can't Handle the Truth. It's good to have it turned up like they had it turned up so you could hear it, so you don't have to strain to hear whatever's on the video. Um, so let's jump into our text. After, you're good, y'all are good. Uh, So after Lazarus has been raised from the dead. That's a wonderful story. If you haven't read it, John chapter 11, we went over that last week and it's powerful. It's got a lot in there. You can listen to that online if you want. John chapter 12, verse nine. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus whom he had raised from the dead. So they're not just going to see Jesus, and they've been asking about if he was going to come or not. They, they are going because they want to see Lazarus. I mean, after all, he was dead four days. Everybody knew he was dead. Now he's alive. That's a big testimony. Yeah, I was dead. Now I'm not. In the last two verses of our text... So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing Jesus. Hmm. They couldn't handle the truth. I mean, it was staring right at them in the form of Lazarus. And before that, it was the blind man. And before that, it was the man who was healed from so many years of not being able to walk. There were so many things that Jesus had done. Water into wine, there's all those different things. And like, how do you argue against the evidence? Well, people don't. When the evidence is overwhelming, when it comes to the existence of God, Jesus, and the reality of the truth of the Bible, people don't argue against it. Typically, they just don't. 
Because they can't. <clears throat> There's a, I don't have any slide for this, but a man by the name of Niles Eldridge wrote a book called The Monkey Business. And in this book, it was written 30 years ago or so, more than 30 years ago. And in the, he's this guy that PBS has used quite frequently for kids shows to basically indoctrinate kids to believe that everything has evolved. I don't know if you've looked at many dinosaur books, but if you go into any place that's got dinosaurs, coloring books or dinosaur kids books of any kind, most of the time it will start with an assumption based on a theory that's not based on facts. It'll start off by going millions of years ago. That's the way it starts, assuming that that's true. And all the textbooks that used to be, most of you in this room were taught in school, you were taught the theory of evolution is this. <clears throat> you weren't taught that theories, you were taught that when you have a theory and you have a law, a scientific law, if they are in conflict with one another, which one do you throw out? You always throw out the theory. If the theory is in conflict with a law, an established law, you have to throw out the theory. But what you weren't taught was that the second law of thermodynamics, which is the law of entropy, the, basically it's the, the idea that things given to themselves over a period of time will fall apart, become less complex, and decay. That's what happens. For instance, let's say Jim's doing some sort of something around the grounds, because he does that a lot, and he drops a screwdriver out there in the field and didn't realize he dropped it until it's gone. Then he looks for it, doesn't see it, until Joe's up here mowing, and one day he hits something. <laughs> let's say time has passed. I don't care if you give it 10 years or a million years, but let's just say you can throw a million years in there or 10 years, whatever. And Joe gets out and he looks to, to see that screwdriver that's been kind of squished in the ground, it's been rained on, it's been had dirt all over it, and over time, 10 years, millions of years, how many years you want to give it? And now it's not a screwdriver anymore. It doesn't have rust on it anymore. It didn't decay. It didn't start having oxidation happen. And nothing like that. No, it's a power tool. It's a full-on cordless drill because, you see, things evolve and become more complex over time. That's the theory of evolution. <clears throat> and you have to have a lot of time for that to work because you, th th that way you can't have evidence because there is no evidence. There's no missing link. There's no, um, in the fossil record, there is no transitional form of anything to another, nothing. After all this time, they've never been able to find evidence. And you'll hear Tom Hoyle talk about that when he comes and it's wonderful to listen to him. I hope you bring friends. When he comes on, what is that? I don't remember. February, March? I don't know. It's on the church calendar. It's coming up. I think it's in March. I think it's around the 12th. We've got him on the calendar for, the, for 2024 as well, and that is February 18th. But anyway, when Dr. Hoyle comes, he will give you some information that is very, very good. And if you want to challenge him, by all means, just not in this room, but challenge him out there. Bring your questions if you want to argue, because he has the facts. But you have to have all these millions of years. You say in the theory, you have to do that, because that way nobody was there taking pictures, nobody was making notes, and nobody can challenge your theory. Most people don't even know when you go into the Museum of Natural History, when you walk in where, you know, Neanderthal, they've got this, this uh, 
quite uh, embellished rendition of what Neanderthal is, supposedly. On the right-hand side, there's a little piece of paper that explains, modern scientists believe Neanderthal was nothing more than a modern man with arthritis. Have you heard this? No. Most of us haven't, but if you go there and look, there it is. <laughs> we'll talk more about science in a little bit. But they couldn't handle the truth, and I, uh, I want to I wanna show you something that was an uncomfortable truth that somebody put together, and JC, I'm going to have you cut it off, so watch my signal when I do that, and we'll just cut it off. But he's going to play a video for you quickly, You'll, and I'm going to read it to you as we see it. Since the pandemic, one in three Christians disengaged from their church. 4,000 plus American churches closed, and 20,000 plus pastors left the ministry. That is disturbing. This is Southern Hills Christian Church in Shreveport, Louisiana. I want to give you a little bit of history, and I wish I had time to give you more, but I don't want to bore you with all of that. But I, I do want to give you some history of how I've come to where I am, and uh, it's related to our text. <clears throat> this photo I took probably 10 years ago. Now, that's a church building, and you can see off to your left... Uh, another building. That building was bought because our youth group grew so much that we needed another building. We wouldn't fit. The high school youth group exclusively used that building, and we filled it up. Um, the church was on fire. The young adults, a huge number of young adults, uh, packed in that worship room every Sunday. I, it was very sad for me to go through and look at all the different people I've known over the years that were there. This was in the 80s, early 80s, uh, not the picture. The picture was about 10 years ago. But I was that, at that church, and I want to show you some characters that majorly influenced me. You'll see them come up behind me. Earl Cook, who passed away in 2018. Earl Cook was a, um, he was a cowboy, and he was a preacher, and he was excellent. I mean, when he preached, he just, he picked you up out of your seat and held you in the palm of your hands. And when he was done, he put you back. <laughs> and you felt like you could do better in your Christian walk. I loved hearing him preach. I was a high school kid. And I, you know how a lot of high school kids and junior high kids, they don't want to be in the worship room. I loved being in the worship room. I loved hanging on his words. And when he didn't preach, Mike Surgener, now that picture, Mike and Lou Surgener, they're from uh, Kentucky Christian University is what it's called today. And Mike, uh, that picture was taken when they were, in, it was pre-1983, because that's before I met them. That's their college photo. Uh, he's older now, obviously, and uh, he is no longer a preacher in a church. You see, what happened with Earl, he was a youth minister at the time, Earl Cook, he didn't hold back. He, he would go through the Bible like we do here, you just go right through the Bible, and you let the Bible reveal the truth that's contained within. You gather the facts and present the facts, and 
He didn't hold back. And that was threatening to some people. Same thing with Mike and Lou. They were the same way. They just believed the Bible and they taught it. And a crazy thing happened on the Sunday. Both Earl Cook and Mike had spoken very little, but they both determined they cannot continue because of some of the things that were going on and some of the other leaders in the church. They just thought, we need to remove ourselves. And they both had said, well, I'm going to do that. Well, I am too. Well, let's not talk about when we're going to do it. Let God lead us. Let's not get together on this. And on one Sunday morning, while the building was packed, I mean, there were pews and people were standing in the back. That's how packed this church was. That's how on fire it was. Jesus was doing big things in this church. Some of the high school kids were back running the kids' programs, including the nursery. That's how, I mean, there were lots of, loaded with servants. The, everything was going right, mostly. But there was a problem in the leadership structure. And they didn't want to cause any waves, so Earl Cook stood up and said, I'm going to um, leave in two months. I'm giving two months' notice. I'm going to move on to another church. And after he did that, you could see Mike was on the stage sitting in a chair, and he dropped his head like, I can't believe this. He, he, he looked devastated. And then Mike walked up to the podium and said, I have an announcement to make as well. We did not coordinate on this. I did not know he was going to give his two months' notice on the same day I'm giving mine. And the people, none of the people knew. Nobody knew it was coming. It, it, was, it was crazy how excellent everything seemed to be going on the surface. Nobody knew there was something happening, that the devil was working on people in, on the leadership team, and he had gotten a hold of a couple of them. <clears throat> that was on Sunday. On Monday, my um, Earl Cook called my house and because he was trying to find the youth minister, couldn't get a hold of the youth minister, called my house because he knew I was close to the youth minister. And my parents asked, do you know where Mike is? Yes, he's home. Monday's his day off. And he, this is back when, those of you who don't know, phones used to be plugged in. Anyway, he would unplug his phone so on his day off he could actually have a Sabbath and he would rest with his wife on his day off. And so I said, yeah, he's, he's at home in his apartment. He just unplugs his phone. They have a day of rest. They pray and they, sometimes they fast. They, they're very spiritual. And so Earl wanted me to do something. He asked if I could go and warn. Uh, well, first he asked my mother. My mother said, well, I have, I've got to work. I can't. And so he asked if I could. So he handed me the phone, and I was supposed to go warn them that a couple of the corrupt leaders went over to his house, Earl Cook's house, handed him a check and handed him a note and says, you're welcome to come worship with us anytime. But they kept the note and the check in an envelope and said to him and his wife, you're no longer welcome. Wow. It was very unchristlike. And I was supposed to warn the elders are gonna come, probably gonna go tell the youth minister not all the elders, but most of them. We're going to go tell the youth minister. And by the way, I've known a lot of preachers that the devil got a hold of, so it's not, it's not always the elder. Sometimes it's the preacher. But anyway, um, I went to Mike and Lou's to warn them what might happen. And uh, 
so they just did what they do. They said, we need to pray. So we got on our hands and knees on their couch, uh, leaning with our elbows on the couch, and we prayed. And it was a long time that we prayed before those elders came by. One of them actually cussed when he walked in. And he also looked at me and he goes, what are you doing here? And the preacher's wife said, we're praying. And um, I got to hear them tell them that they're not welcome to come back in that building ever again. So what unfolded next was people in the church being upset about what happened. And I was the only witness because their paper said, you're welcome to come back. But their words out of their mouth said, don't ever step foot in that building again. So other people rose up into leadership and I was to share my story. So I got sucked into something that I didn't want to get sucked into. <clears throat> and the next Sunday, uh, basically three of the elders stood in front of the church and said, we own this building, our name's on the property, and we're not going anywhere. And all they were asked to do was just step aside, let some others step into leadership until they resolve problems. And uh, they said, we're not going anywhere. And so that next Sunday, there were three cars in the church parking lot a parking lot that was full the Sunday before and overflowing into another parking lot. That Sunday, there were three because we drove by it as we went to a, try another church. So you can imagine as a high school kid, that's a little bit traumatic for me. Like, whoa, what is going on? I had already made a decision because I had already experienced some other things. I'd seen some things and heard some things and read about things where there was some corrupt leadership. Some of them were preachers. And I wanted to go to Bible college, not to be a preacher. I thought, someday I'm going to be a leader in a church, and I, want to, I don't want to not know what I'm doing. So that's why I wanted to go to Bible college. Earl Cook, it got worse for him. Um, those uh, elders wrote a letter to the church where he was going to and told them that he was a troublemaker and that he was causing problems, um, and they tried to prevent him from going to the church where he was going. Mike was out of ministry for quite a while. Went into the ministry, and he's not now, but he, uh, he's a supply preacher. I'm going to show you a picture. This is the college that Mike had introduced me to. Now, he went to Kentucky Christian College, but he, and I had three scholarships, and he wanted me to check out all of them. I did, but he, he was insisted that I check this one out. So I did, and I knew that's where God wanted me to go. So I went there. I had to pay for that one. I didn't get scholarships for that one. And uh, it, it took a long time to pay that off. It's an expensive college, or it was. While I was there, I met a guy, and I don't have any image to show you because um, I probably could have pulled a yearbook and got a pixelated one for you. But I met a man. He was an older man. His name was Johnny Ward. If you do a Google search, you're not going to find him. There's a lot of pastors named Johnny Ward, and he's not any of those that I could find. He was an old man at the time. He ran a, a factory. And as he was running this factory, somebody led him to Christ, and then he knew that he was called uh, to lead a Bible study. So he led a Bible study. There's no church in the town where he was. So he led a Bible study, started, turned into a church, and then he thought, I don't know what I'm doing. So he worked out a deal with the, the factory and 
and they managed to give him just a long four days, work four tens, around his preaching schedule and around his Bible college. And he had to drive a couple hours to get to Bible college. I met him when he was already doing all this. And I just kind of felt sorry for him. Like, he's an old man. Everybody else is young in college. So I talked to him, and he reciprocated and talked back to me. And we'd go out to eat. And I looked up to him, and I admired him. And one day I find myself, I'm preaching in a church in northwest Arkansas. And he's the preacher in a nearby town. He uh, took on his first full-time preaching thing, left the factory, solid income, just preaching. And I asked him to speak at our area men's fellowship, and he spoke. But before he spoke, he played the piano for our music. I, I learned he could play the piano. I didn't know he could play like Liberace. I mean, he was excellent, dancing all over those keyboards, and he had everybody singing. And he got up to preach, and I heard a lot of preachers at that, we had these monthly meetings, a lot of preachers. Every preacher took turns preaching. We brought in other preachers, including Kyle Eidelman's dad. But when he preached, he, I don't think anybody preached better than him. He was excellent. I had no idea that he was that skilled. In the church where he served, there was a, a, the people in the church were populated with a lot of Masons. And many were dedicated more to the Masons than they were to the church. He got a phone call. I don't remember what time it was, two or three or four in the morning. One of the church leader's sons was drunk. Met a girl in a bar, and he wanted to marry her right now. Hey, preacher, I want you to meet me at the church and get married. He said, well, it doesn't work like that. you got to apply, and you've got to get the paperwork, you know, and then we do some counseling and see if you're actually compatible before I'll do it. And he said, no, I want to get married tonight. And uh, preacher said, no, we're not going to do that. I'm sleeping. You need to go sleep it off. You're, you're intoxicated. So that led to a meeting where the preacher was told, if a church leader's son calls you and asks you to do something, you do it. And all the other leaders agreed. And he said, no, I'll do what God calls me to do. And if, they, if he picks up a girl in a bar while he's intoxicated, I'm not just going to marry him. No. So they fired him. His wife had a heart attack. She passed away, and he disappeared. I lost track of him. The best preacher I ever heard out of all the preachers that I heard preach in those Gatherings for the men in the northwest Arkansas corner who sacrificed so much to become a preacher got pushed out because people didn't want to hear the truth. Now, I want to tell you a little bit about why I'm giving you this because this is significant and it has an impact here on this church. So here's a map of Washington State. And I'm, I'm trying to do a lot in a short period of time, so I'm going to be expedient with this if I can. So uh, you'll see a little ball drop on the map. Watch this. See that bouncing? Can y'all see that behind me pretty good? That's Bremerton. You know where you are. That's where we are. Now I want to show you where I live. You see, this is Lacey right by Olympia. It takes an hour and nine minutes with no traffic to get here if I don't stop and get donuts. 
Um, and this is where I work currently. You'll see Clallam Bay pop up there, way at the tip of our country, way, way up there. And some of you already know. Uh, by the way, from Lacey, driving through this way, this is the most efficient way to go, um, it takes four hours. And that's what I've been doing for, over, for almost two years and a month. And now something's happening different. Watch this, see this dot? That's where I'm going to be as I serve as a chaplain in a different prison, closer to home and actually closer to here. And that's going to have, I hope, a positive impact on us as a church because that frees up Stephanie and I to be here more often on Sundays, like the afternoon and evening if we need to be. And that's just closer, so it's so much better for us to be able to serve alongside you here. And why is this happening? Well, I need to explain. It has something to do with people not handling the truth. So I'll show you some statistics here. There are 14 Washington Department of Corrections chaplain positions in the state currently. Five new chaplains were hired in the last year or so. You'll see that pop up behind me, I think, yeah. Three current chaplain positions are open right now, including mine that I'm leaving that place up there in Clallam Bay. And five chaplains are currently talking about retiring or leaving. And if you do the math, there's a line here, subtract those, you end up with one Washington Department of Corrections seasoned chaplain left. That should be alarming to people. What is happening? Well, let me explain some of what's happening. The chaplains overall, not, I don't feel it because I've only been doing it for as officially a chaplain for just over two years, but chaplains in this state feel pushed aside and relegated to nothingness. They're, they've even changed their title to religious coordinator. It used to be that chaplains were kind of extremely influential with the, the wardens. They were right there alongside them. Warden leaves, the chaplain's in charge. Now, chaplains, it's, it's like we're trying to be pushed into being paper pushers and just making sure that those religious programs happen. Well, don't talk about it. You know, don't do it. It's no big deal. We just got to do this legally. And that's what it's being relegated to. So chaplains are feeling less and less able to pastor people, to care for people. Um, they're feeling less and less able to be involved in the inner workings of individual lives and working with families and working with staff and helping them through things because they're just supposed to be paper pushers. So more and more seasoned and very skilled chaplains are leaving. There's, there's more to it than that. My belief that a big reason is they wouldn't be pushing all this weird stuff, and there's a lot of weird stuff being pushed, through the prison system, and it's, I don't y'all have heard, right? 50% uh, our murder, the murder rate in Washington state has increased by 50% since we cut a bunch of our uh, prisoners free because of COVID and some soft on crime stuff. Y'all don't know about that? Well, that's what's happened. So the chaplains, before they were reduced to less and less, 
would have been more loud. Hey, no, we're not doing this. No, we're not doing this. This guy is not ready to be unleashed on society. And society is not ready to have that person unleashed. I believe in reform, but he's not ready. Chaplains don't have a say in that like they used to. <laughs> you look at the next slide. They can't handle the truth. People don't want to hear it. People don't. People, legislators make up laws before they even visit. I don't know if you know how this works. If a legislator is going to visit a prison, they have to go through a process of announcing that they're coming. So everybody gets ready before they get there, and everybody's on their best behavior by, they come, by the time they come through. They don't get to see what actually happens. They get to see a show. And laws are made without knowledge of actually what's going on, because they can't handle the truth. They don't want to hear it. Now I want to give you this, Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father." That's the reality. Every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. I recommend you do it here on earth before you're forced to do it on Judgment Day. Let me throw out a phrase that's very common. Trust the science. You hear that a lot today, right? Trust the science. That's not what they mean. They don't mean that at all. Trust the scientists that I listen to is what they mean. Trust the science? Okay. I was privileged for 14 years to travel and teach for Christ in Youth, an international organization, and I love the organization. I got to do that for 14 years, and one of the subjects I got to teach was for college students that are entering into universities and colleges not Christian. How do we prepare them? And so one of the things I got to talk about in great detail was the stuff that's going to get thrown at you, and you're told these are facts. Let me show you how to look at the facts and don't just accept what you're told, whether you're in a church or a classroom. So trust the science. Here's what I would basically show them. Now, I don't have time to give you all of that, but let me show you a lever and a fulcrum. Most of you don't even know what that means. Uh, scales. So what you have to do is kind of like Lee Strobel did in the case for Christ, or kind of like what uh, Josh McDowell did and evidence that demands a verdict. You weigh the evidence, which is more reasonable. God, Jesus, the Bible, Christianity, or the other stuff that goes against it, which is more reasonable. So trust the science. Well, let's talk about some of the sciences. I'm only going to give you seven, and I'm going to do it quickly. Here we go, one at a time. First one, archaeological evidence. Is there archaeological evidence? Well, you do know that there's another Raiders of the Lost Ark movie they're talking about coming out. Y'all heard this, right? There's another one. Hey, that's kind of cool. Remember the first one? That was about the Ark, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Indiana Jones, you know. What's he looking for? Well, he's looking for a biblical artifact. It's my strong opinion that God doesn't allow us to find a lot of real artifacts because then we get involved in some idolatry. But... Anyway, in the movie, the idea is that you're going to find something that is real, tangible, 
archaeological, I'm sure you know that all of the archaeological evidence that has been found that has any connection to the Bible actually supports the Bible. There's been none that's been found that argues against the Bible. That's interesting to me. Some of the greatest minds in archaeology, including uh, Walter Scott, you should look him up, there's more than one. Uh, I said the wrong name, that's not the right name, so scratch that out of your head. Uh, i got to think of the right name. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> uh, Walter Scott, there's two of those, but that's not the right guy. Ah, some other day. Uh, anyway, we've got um, one of the greatest archaeological minds uh, set out in, um, in his life to disprove the Bible. And what he actually ended up doing was uncovering so much evidence that the Bible's accurate. So he wrote 10 books chock full of the evidence that he uncovered that supports the Bible. Ten different books. He set out to disprove the Bible. Same thing with Lee Strobel. Same thing with Josh McDowell and so many others. Some of the greatest minds. C.S. Lewis was an atheist. But when they looked at the evidence, can't argue with it. Archaeological evidence, can't argue with that. In fact, if you look at Raiders of the Lost Ark, look at the whole, the things that follow, the most interesting and compelling ones are the ones that focused on actual artifacts, not some made-up stuff that didn't really exist. Those were the bombs. So hopefully this next one is a biblical thing. Next one, historical. Oh, you should look at that. Historically speaking, it's interesting that you go through the Old Testament, and, and when I was a kid, I really struggled with all of those you know, those different names that they're so hard to pronounce, you know, like parasites. Well, that wasn't one of them. But there was a whole bunch of different names that sound like that. And, and it's like, why am I having to read all these names? I'm going to read through the Bible, and I, I don't know if I'm going to get through it, all those names. But then when people start looking at other historical documentation, where there is uh, hieroglyphics on a cave wall, or whether it was on tablets or on re, uh, uh, papyrus uh, documents, what they uncover is the history of the Bible lines up with other history in the world. Wow. Okay, so let's look at the next one. Biological. <laughs> I have a book in my office. I didn't bring it over for you, but one of the leading experts in the world right now recently wrote a book, probably five years ago. He's uh, got all kinds of recognition around the world. And he's the guy that is exposing at the molecular level things we constantly are discovering, going deeper and deeper and seeing more and more. And he argues that there is no way any of this happened without a designer. It has to be designed. And he's got some other people who are also decorated and highly recognized biologists that are almost as equal, almost up to his level, who back him up and say, he's spot on, has to be a designer. Leading biological experts around the world. Agree. Okay, uh, next one. Like I said, there's only seven. Geological. I, got, I was privileged to learn racquetball from a geological scientist. And I loved hearing his stories of all of the um, geology that he had done. I also studied under another uh, professor who was an archaeologist, but he went on a geological dig. He invited me, and I didn't realize the gravity of how powerful this was. 
when he invited me to the Paluxy River dig, I didn't know. I, I just was a college kid. I wanted to play and have fun on the weekends, not go on some thing where I'd have to scrape dirt. Well, I should have gone. Because what they had was they had dinosaur footprints alongside human footprints in the Paluxy Riverbed. And the anti-God scientists were saying, those aren't dinosaur footprints. Those are, uh, I'm sorry, those aren't human footprints. Those are footprints of a dinosaur that had human feet. <laughs> that's, that's what they said. Um, and so when um, Wilbur Fields took his uh, group down there, they discovered something pretty fascinating. They followed those footprints of the feet on the dinosaur when they, when they wide off. They went into a cave, and in the cave they found tools. Did you know dinosaurs use tools? I didn't know. I said, it's pretty special. Yeah. The geological evidence is overwhelming as well. There's more. Uh, next one. Logical. If you want to talk about logical reasoning, the men and I have done this a few times. If you actually understand logical reasoning, the rules of inference, you'll discover there's no way. Once you look at all of it, in every culture around the world, those that are considered reasonable follow the same rules. How did that happen? How did we all evolve to the same rules? It doesn't work. Next one. Psychological. A fun field of mine, and I wish Anthony was here so you could explore that with him. But the psychological evidence is overwhelming as well, and the Bible is solid on the newest psychological uh, methods, the different therapies, are actually right in line with biblical teaching. We've talked about that with cognitive behavioral therapy. And then the last one, astronomical. Yeah, I know there's been people who study astronomy and argue against the existence of God. But you should study more, go beyond what you find on Google. Look at the actual experts and look at the ones that actually believe in God. And you'll discover their evidence is overwhelming. The others who argue against God go off on tangents based on their previous experience. They had some negative thing happen in a church, so the church can't be right. Therefore, God can't be right. Jesus can't be real and can't trust the Bible. They're not doing any scientific anything. It's just feelings. Look at the scientific evidence and you'll be amazed. I wish I had time to give you more. And if you want to talk privately about the specifics of any of these, I would be glad to. I just gave you seven. There's more fields of study. Uh, if you want to look at the science, the science is overwhelming in favor, overwhelmingly in favor of God, Jesus, and the Bible. So if you want to trust the science, not just trust the scientists that you like, you'll discover the truth right in front of you. But you see, those people that say trust the science typically, they can't handle the truth. My question for you is, can you? Now, before Dan comes up, I'm going to show that video again of that movie clip, A Few Good Men. It's the same one, same thing you just saw earlier. And... Not yet. I got, it, I got it set up to automatic. You could go from there in just a minute. I got it set up so that when he clicks on it, it just does it. So he had no control of that. But when it starts, I want you to 
as you're watching this, just kind of forget about what Tom Cruise is saying, which is usually a good practice anyway. But just kind of forget about what he's saying in the movie. And imagine yourself saying something like, trust the science. Or imagine yourself saying, I don't know, I'm not sure. Imagine that's a skeptic. And imagine someone saying back to you, you can't handle the truth. You see, the problem is, the reason why people don't want to hear the truth when it comes to God, Jesus, and the Bible is because they don't want to change their behavior. They like doing what they do. And if God, Jesus, and the Bible are real, I might have to change what I like doing, and I'm comfortable doing what I do. That's why people don't want to hear the truth. So we're going to watch this video, and Dan's going to take it from there. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! 